Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 107, verses 1 through 3 and 33 through 43. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, Those he redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry live, and they establish a town to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards to get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, trouble, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of distress and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness stops its mouth. Let those who are wise give heed to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 through 9. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food incline your ear and come to me listen so that you may live I will make you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for David see I made him a witness to the peoples a leader and commander for the peoples See, you shall call nations that you, that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways Your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. In those days, when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. After giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute, and they distributed them to the crowd. 
They had also a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these too should be distributed. They ate and were filled, and they took up their broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about four thousand people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Good morning and welcome to the ninth Wednesday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Walkersville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 107, Isaiah 55, and Mark 8. But today uh, being uh, August, oh gosh, 4th, uh, it is the feast day of uh, a man named uh, John Vianney who is a Catholic priest who grew up under the the French Revolution, which was severely anti-Catholic, or anti, well, anti-religious, but, I mean, at the time it was heavily, I mean, the targets were Catholics. Um, and he, um, he grew up, you know, uh, under threat of persecution for being Catholic, but he and his family were pretty devout, and they continued to practice the faith despite... Uh, the risks and the, the threat to their lives and livelihood. And this continued, um, he was, um, as a child, um, he grew up like just after the American Revolution, essentially. So he was born a little after Britain lost to the United States. So he's, you know, like 200 some odd years ago. Um, and I mention that because if you see icons of him, he's wearing this like doily or or bib or something, <laughs> Um, and it's the same, very similar to what um, Methodist priests wore uh, in Methodist priests and, and Baptists and some um, Episcopalians wore during that same time, I should say Anglicans. Um, and there, so that's how you know it's it's one of the things that you'll notice from John Vianney. wears this period attire. Um, but... Um, when Napoleon rises to power after the revolution, um, he he um, stops the persecution of Catholics. Um, but as he's fighting France, he also withdraws the exemption of uh, seminarians and, and priests, etc., from serving in the army. So Jean Vianney had just been uh, ordained a deacon on his way to becoming a priest when he was drafted into Napoleon's armies. Um, by chance uh, or or by design, um, he falls ill when the draft comes to, to his town. And once it's once the uh, all the, the men are kind of counted up and um, enrolled, uh, they take off without John. Um, he's he was in the hospital or he still was in the hospital. And so He's. They've attempted to draft him once. He proceeds to another city where there's another draft, um, and this time, something else happens. He'd gone into the church to pray, and the group had proceeded without him. Uh, now, whether he was doing this purposefully or not, it's not sure. Or you know, it's not really clear. Um, certainly, people back then knew how to fake an illness, just like they do now. Um, and maybe he saw a church and decided to hide. You know, it's not really clear if it was voluntary or not. Um, but he does, of his own accord, 
according to most sources, he does follow the draft. Like he's like, okay, you know, I, I have a certain duty. I'm going to try and fulfill it. Um, but, you know, two times in a row now, it, you know, it passes him by. Um, and when he's going to, for a third time, follow the draft, or second time, I guess, when he's going to follow it to another city, um, there somebody offers to take him to where it's where the military is going next to Rouen. Um, but instead, this his guide takes him into the, the mountains um, to a small village where a bunch of deserters are gathered. Now, again, you know the, this is the mostly the the church's account or Christian's account, and so they could be trying to absolve him of any guilt for running from the draft. Um, but it sure does seem like he's a draft dodger at this point. And I say that because he's taken to this village where a bunch of deserters are hiding out, and he stays there for a year, just over a year. And he doesn't he doesn't follow the army anymore. He stays in this little remote village that's inaccessible during the winter. And when um, the military comes through town or the police force or whatever, he hides in bags of hay. And so now he's definitely you know, running from the draft. Um, he's hiding in these fermenting stacks of, of hay, which I'm sure is disgusting. Um, and so we know on some level he is, he is actively avoiding military service. And he's a priest, so it's also, it's kind of complicated. It's not that he was fully able, but there's been this, you know, hundreds of years long, if not thousands of years long exemption to clerics fighting in the military. Uh, and Napoleon is just saying, nah, I'm not going to do that. Um, and so it's it's not as straightforward to say, oh, you know, he is a, a draft dodger, um, because even though he may be, he should have been exempt in the first place. Um, and he should have been exempt because he was a cleric. Uh, anyway, while he's at this village, um, he builds a school, he takes a fake name, um, and finally, uh, he um, the the war ends, and he becomes and the the Catholic Church is kind of fully restored to independence, and he becomes the the parish priest of Ars in France. Um, and he continues doing these great things. What he's most well known for, and why he ha- he has become the patron saint of priests in the Catholic Church, uh, is because of this just incredible transformation underwent. Uh, that he was behind at the in the city of Ars. Um, during that time, he, uh, as a parish priest, I think he was only ever assigned once, and he stayed there like his whole life. I think he traveled some, but I think he remained uh, in Ars in terms of you know his religious assignment. And it's a small town, just a couple hundred people, um, and he just hammers people with <laughs> with the Eucharist. Um, He's known for his Eucharistic adoration and his veneration of Mary. I mean, you know, super Catholic with a you know capital C um, and a capital S for that matter. And so John um, uh, really kind of turns his town around. It was kind of a backwater, you know, Nazareth kind of place. And um, within you know several years, people are coming to Ars not just uh, because it's been improved, but because he's come to be known as a really uh, effective confessor. He hears people's confessions and offers them 
means of absolution, whether that's you know prayers or suggested activity or whatever. Um, he's known to be able to look into people's souls, you know, look in their eyes and, and just um, really, on the one hand, be a really good listener, but also had really good things to say and offer as a confessor um, during confession. And there's legends of, you know, a line stretching around the city uh, on Sundays uh, to take confession or to, to confess to um, Father Jean Vianney. Um, and he uh, he got so popular that people would pilgrimage out there, um, and he <clears throat> he talked a little bit about um, suicide, and and uh, so it's clear that people were um, were coming to him, you know, on the verge of taking their own lives. Um, but he uh, he when he heard at least one story of this. Um, this old woman uh, was considering suicide because her husband had done it. Um, and when he heard that she was in line um, to to confess to Jean Vianney, he goes out um, and he yells, <laughs> he yells at the line. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how he found out, but uh, she, he goes out to the line. He doesn't know exactly where she is and. Um, the the big question in her mind apparently was whether or not you know if because he committed suicide um, was he in hell or was he bound for heaven or not and so he runs out of his confessional and he yells at the crowd he is saved um, and he said it like multiple times I tell you he's saved he's in purgatory pray for him um, and that's uh, important because the church the Catholic Church believes, um, I'm going to keep this loosely, uh, you know, not hold it too tightly because I don't know, it's an important subject, but I don't know the catechism uh, on suicide. But very, very simplistically, um, the, the Church does believe that if you commit suicide, you're guilty of murder, and because you can't confess your sins, then you have com- you've um, committed a mortal sin. Um now, John Vianney says, no, that's not true. He's in purgatory. Pray for him. Um, he, he, is, he can be saved, or he is saved, according to Vianney. Um, and I didn't knew, know that until recently, and I, I feel the same way that I think suicide is as much about you know, the events that lead up to it and the inability of the person to deal with them and the inability of the community to minister to them. And so I don't think it's as easy as saying, well, you're guilty of murder, guilty of murder. But Jean Vianney, uh, he wasn't excommunicated or, or made a heretic. Um, he is the patron saint of priests, and he has a pretty particular stance on suicide for the church. Um, and so he's a draft dodger. Um, you know, the 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 ver- the jury is still out as to exactly what went on as he's trying to avoid military service. But he does proceed to follow the draft when he didn't have to. He could have just, if he was faking it, he could have just stayed in that first village where he was sick. But he doesn't. He pursues them. So he doesn't, you know, um, forego his, his perceived duty. He does, he does what he can um, until he finds himself at a place where, um, you know, by, by circumstance or design or both, 
um, his opportunity or his you know his service has you know he's kind of eclipsed it. Um, but he's still the patron saint of priests, um, who has this very interesting relationship with the military. I count him as a, mil- a soldier saint because he he was drafted. He was supposed to be there. He's on the rolls, um, but he he fell he fell through the crack. Uh, I, I guess you could say. Prayer for Priests by St. John Vianney, according to the Catholic Diocese of San Angelo, Texas. God, please give to your church today many more priests after your own heart. May they be worthy representatives of Christ the Good Shepherd. May they wholeheartedly devote themselves to prayer and penance by examples of humility and poverty, shining models of holiness tireless and powerful preachers of the Word of God, zealous dispensers of your grace in the sacraments. May their loving devotion to your Son, Jesus, in the Eucharist, and to Mary, his mother, be the twin fountains of of fruitfulness for their ministry. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with pewpewhq in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.